Cradleine Network. This episode, we're covering 2080 for December 1992, Prague's 8, 12 to 8, 15. This time, Dread deals with old rivals and Christmas fun. Dead Meat returns with a history lesson. Finn, Luke Kirby, Revere, and Robo Hunter all take a leap one way or another. And it's seance time. Oh, yeah. Spooky ghosts. Listen. I don't want to have ghosts unless we're going to be seancing them I, and things get spoopy. I freaking love, I love a good seance. Who doesn't like a lady who channels the spirit of like a horn? Yeah. It's like a trumpet or something. I mean, that's all part of it. You know, just whatever they can, you can do in a dark room to freak out Victorians, basically. That's your key seance. Yeah. Stuff. It's oh, fake, Fox. <laughs> it's all it's all tomfoolery. Yeah. FYI, it's yeah. fake. <laughs> anyway, it's a whole Houdini thing about it, right? Like yeah. his, he, after when he died, he gave his wife like a secret code because he was always going around no, debunking it, seances. He, he, yeah, the other way around. His wife died first, and he gave her a code. Oh, to say to him. Yeah, and then he went around debunking seances. <laughs> he had a bone to pick. It's good, yeah. Jerk move. It's excellent. If you want to read along with us from the comics we're covering today in Judge Ready Complete Case Files 18, The Complete Luke Kirby, The Revere Collection, and The Judge Dread Magazine number 31. Yeah, exciting time, Fox. Always happy to be back. Yeah, We're doing these podcasts. We're doing a with podcast. You. Yeah, definitely. I'll tell you behind the scenes. It's been a little while since we did done oh, one yeah. together. So I mean, easily four weeks. I, I expect some giddiness <laughs> in here just as, as the boys are back, back in the saddle and stuff like uh, that. Just two horses, oh, truly, man. But hey, speaking of old friends meeting up again, Fox. Oh, <laughs> god damn it! Three one, Judge Dredd. Uh, Judge Dredd, script robot Garth Ennis, art robots John Burns and Carlos Escare, letting robot a Tom Frame. Hey, it's our boy. <laughs> so, yeah. John Burns starts us off here on art. We're continuing from the last episode in the slums of Mega City One. A woman is attacked by two men and cries out. And the former judge we met last episode, Carl Rader, has no choice but to run to help her because, you know, his personal code won't let him do otherwise. <laughs> Love that name, Carl Rader. Definitely. Cool-ass name, for sure. Yeah. In a, in a cool fr- uh, trench coat, he rushes in, beats up these dudes, and runs <laughs> off with a woman to safety. Um, after they leave the men, they call in, because they're definitely Wally Squad members, and have spent the last couple hours <laughs> waiting for Raider to chance by to insert undercover Judge Lola Palmtree um, into his life. Uh, and he's been beaten up pretty badly. They've they've lock lamored him, if you will. It's a fantasy series. Nope, don't know. It's but it's like a fantasy series about like criminals and stuff. Oh, and cool. The, but the first book does like the first scheme they have is literally like this gang of uh, criminals just sort of waiting in an alley for this one certain rich guy to come by <laughs> and then enacting a fake mugging to uh, insert a, uh, a criminal into the nobleman's life. 
okay. It's it's a good series, definitely. Um, anyway, I love it. Also, I love how badly injured these. Oh yeah, judges no, one are of them, their, their nose was smashed. Yeah, one and guy's like, nose was smashed. One guy's like, he took my guts out. <laughs> I got no guts, dread. I got get to medic. <laughs> yeah, okay. At at a diner, Lola recovers from her attack. And uh, she and Carl introduce each other. Palmetry says she's broke and has nowhere to go. So Raider offers to let her stay with him for a bit. You know, he knew he shouldn't, but the words escaped his mouth because, God damn it, it's a honey. It's why it draws you in with its sweet, sweet honey. <laughs> Do you think that came from like Winnie the Pooh? Because he was always getting caught in honey. I feel like you just get you catch a lot of like. I feel like it could be Winnie the Pooh. Could just be like you get bu- like like uh, an extension of the catching more flies with honey than with vinegar. Oh yeah, there thing, you go. You know, yeah. like that's where you have the honey that you're catching the flies with, I guess. Yeah, as opposed to a vinegar pot like my wife. Uh, oh, right. okay. <laughs> we see some tech judges listening into all this, and I kind of like their looks here because it looks like they're just kind of wearing t-shirts that have like yeah the the shoulder eagles and the shoulder pad like printed onto them basically <laughs> along with of course their sweet um jordy oh, laforge visors and Vi- like that. uh visor mics right yeah like, uh, communicate too yeah. of course i like how they're, so they're in the communication room but they also have a little antenna on yeah their well, wireless. we see them we see them con- connecting right to judge dread and oh, stuff yeah. like that you know so they're part of a the central control system i guess um but they tell Dredd, and Dredd says to wait, because maybe they can nail both crime boss Merc Darryson in this as well, you know, as well as Raider. And that night, Raider broods as he cleans his sweet pistols, um, as we see, um, D- as he says that Darryson's gotten into chump dumping. We talked about that last episode, too, I believe, where you sort of get a bunch of mutants and offer to accept, yeah. give them a better life in space. And take money from him and then just dump him in space. Oh, yeah, that's, you go? that's the trap that it's being set for him by Johnny No Hands. Everybody's got, yeah, this guy's got honeypots on all sides. He's like in, a, <laughs> in the supermarket aisle or something. Um, Darryson's, yeah, so he's learned about this and he thinks he's doing, and Darryson's doing it to get Raiders' attention. Well, you've got it. Yeah. <laughs> Palm Tree sleeps on his couch as Raider... Uh, Thinks back to Carol, a woman he loved back when he was a judge. He loved her so much he quit being a judge, just becoming a citizen until he until she died. He then heads out, kissing a sleeping palm tree on the forehead before he goes. Not cool. Um, and, but <laughs> yeah, she, she's not like. Listen, you know, boundaries, please. Like you don't get to kiss somebody just because they're sleeping Sitting on, on your, your couch. couch. <laughs> That's keep that in mind, Fox. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Listen, um, I will. I, there's this is a smooching household. What can I say? You get your birthday smooches. But she's not sleeping. And as he says, like, be safe. He, she's like, just worry about yourself, buddy. Hey, worry about hey, yourself. Hey, hey. <laughs> Meanwhile, in a sci-fi sedan, Burke Darryson's having trouble. Drinking booze with his two hand stumps as he and a goon drive to the spaceport. Nobody's going to stop me sending Raider straight to hell. Oh, As yeah. Darryson looks on. Yeah, yeah, no. Darryson cut his hands off last episode. Yeah. So now he's just kind of got metal cappers on I, his uh, yeah, wrist. He was like, he's got to get me some bionics. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He does. At the Mega City One spaceport. Um, a ship has arrived carrying a hundred illegal mutants from south the border, hoping for a better life in space, though of course they'll probably be dumped in space instead. Dread looks on with some sweet binoculars. 
And like a massive underbite. Like his teeth are showing up in some He's of thinking these. Thinking about, yeah, no, Burns, uh. Burns drawn a real caveman like dread here. His, his frown and his chin have morphed into something. <laughs> no longer more Crow Mag than anything else. Um, yeah, they're waiting for Raider to show up and idly wondering how a small timer like Darryson was even able to set up this kind of scheme. Anyway, there's no sense in waiting, so Dredd goes to arrest Darryson and orders Lola Palmtree to arrest Raider. And man, she does it like immediately. Yeah. No yeah. hesitation. She's a she's a member of the fucking Wally squad. Yeah, not, she's all business. Yeah, it's really I like it a lot. She's ready to shoot him too. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh um, back in the slums, Raider prepares to go after Darryson, knowing he's walking into a trap. He'll need an edge, so he pulls his own his old lawgiver as Lola Palmtree pulls her on Raider. She says he's under arrest. It's that Dread wants to talk to him. Um, and as they wait for ba- for backup, Raider tells his story: how the woman he loved was killed in the Apocalypse War. Oh, it's sad. Well, not really. Like sort of. As he says, she was killed, but the art for this flashback's pretty good, cool. Oh In my the end, God. we see them sort of moving through an apo- a radiation-laced wasteland and Raider having a mercy kill his girlfriend. I, this in, was in fucking shocking to me. It's tough, man. Uh, they mur- they murked a... I mean, yeah, I get it that it's a mercy killing, but I no, didn't I, expect it. If yeah. that makes sense, it really like swung out of left field. He definitely shoots the, shoots the heck out of her. And yeah. yeah, but you know, I mean, listen... Apocalypse War, high level of mercy killings in the Justice Department overall, I yeah. think. I, yeah, I remember it happening quite a bit. Um, yeah, we see his grief in the flashback, and um, it seems to tug at Palm Tree's heartstrings for a, like a bit, like a, just a little bit. Just a bit. But she's still going to arrest him until he reveals that he saw this honeypot coming, <laughs> and while she slept, he unloaded her gun. Gotta know the weight of a loaded pistol, man. Mm, get those bullets in there. She does take the shot yes. to shoot him in the face. <laughs> and there's no bullets in there. Fuck. So, you know, I appreciate her, 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 her checking it out, you know. Then Raider pistol whips her. Then after he's pistol whipped her and knocked her out and she's bleeding from the nose and mouth, he kisses her again on the forehead. Yeah, again, I, I don't like it. It's such a it's such a fucking choice, man. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Don't kiss women you've just beat bloody. You know, yeah. It sends the wrong message. Even if you're letting them stay on your couch, whatever. Uh, wow. <laughs> let's move on. At the at the spaceport, Dread spots Darryson and gets the report about Raider and Palm Tree. Dread decides it's time to take down Darryson so he can focus on that talk with Raider. He's got scheduled. So next up, yeah. <laughs> The judges go rushing in to stop Darryson's chump-dumping operations, and things get bloody real fast as several dudes just get shot in the head here. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> judges roll in, blowing everybody away. That's not the the big the big thing well, that's no. happening, right? Yeah, like, yeah, we're working toward to Dredd arrests Darryson and calls in this situation as judges go to search the ship. He and Dredd <laughs> jaw a bit, and then the judges find the whole ship is rigged with a bomb, and Darryson presses a button. On, on one of his stump, stump cuffs. He's got stumps pressing stump buttons. <laughs> and then the ship explodes with a vacuum. Outside the spaceport, Raider sees the smoke from the explosion. And on the tarmac, Darryson even says, even if he didn't kill Raider, he's stoked to have killed a bunch of judges. And now he's going to kill Dredd <laughs> with his new stump knives. <laughs> they just shink out of this thing. He's ready to cut. 
uh, like I really, a this less is, complex Wolverine here. This is a really, I feel like out of all the things you could put inside those stumps, this is the least helpful thing. You turn himself into Valdo, buddy. Yeah, Soul Calibur. You know what I'm talking maybe, about. Maybe, like, does he walk backwards? And, he does not. Or on, he's, on, a, he's an inferior Valdo, as we'll see. <laughs> um, so Raider runs the scene as Dredd is basically not impressed by these stump knives. <laughs> like... I think I, you maybe, can't throw it from your boot. What's the point of having? It's them? true. Yeah, they don't even like shoot blades or anything because that oh. would be. See, there, there, I would, would be, be cooler. Yeah, you have one that shoots like blades and one that's like I don't know a club. You could have like okay, here's something that no one's seen but me. But in the new, uh, in the Michael Bay uh, 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 Ninja Turtle movies, okay, uh, Shredder, right had all these big blades and shit on his arm and he could shoot them. Yeah. But then his armor also had powerful electromagnets so he could pull the blades back. Dope. And like then have them back on his armor and then shoot them again. Great. Yeah. That's thinking ahead. Listen, it was, it was, it was real cool. Like those (laughs) movies are underrated. Um, (laughs) Well, Dread, not impressed by stump knives. And indeed just before, like there's not even any like knife play. He just grabs them. He just grabs him by the cuffs, cuffs of his rift stumps and stabs him in the neck with his own knives. I mean, I feel like you had it coming, right? I mean, you don't pull. I don't care where the blade comes out, Fox. <laughs> you don't pull a blade on Judge Dredd. Well, especially when, I mean, what's he going to do? No hands. Whether they come out of your stumps, whether you've got one in a sheath. Oh, yeah. Whether I mean, you've you just got, don't like, have a, a knife. Like a forehead knife. Ooh, I like that, like, like a narwhal. Yeah, yeah. If you're a manicorn with like a big buoy knife that pops out of your brain, <laughs> it's kept in between the hemispheres of your, of your Ooh, brain. Ooh, it's like, oh. Ooh, that, yeah, flip up. That's nice. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, don't do that because Drew's going to fuck you up. <laughs> yeah, don't do Oh, man, then your name would be Switchblade. I feel there's got to be a superhero that's like that. Oh, my God. Okay, we got to Google after this. But anyway, as Darryson dies, Raider arrives. He and Dredd show down among the ship's fiery wreckage. Raider's trying to make things like romantic and and noir. And Dredd just keeps telling him, like, cut the bullshit and drop his guns. It's just like, you think too much, buddy. You know, get out of here, buddy. You're under arrest. Um, still obs- and Raider's still obsessed with their day with that day on the range when they were kids. So he drops his regular guns and motions for a lawgiver's uh, uh, show for a lawgiver showdown. Raiders is on his belt. Dred's got his gun in his ankle holster. But when it comes time to draw, Dred still draws and shoots Raider before his gun is even cleared. Jesus. Because Dred is the goddamn man. He's had at least <laughs> one rejuve since oh, yeah. this happened. So he's younger physically than Raider by quite a bit at this point. Plus, like, he just, he saved the world from a zombie apocalypse. Oh, he saved the world from everything. Like four months ago. <laughs> He's at the top of his game, you know, and Raider, you're having trouble taking out like mugs, like small fries, you know? Yeah. I just like no chance. That's what you had. Um, Anyway, Indiana Raider just talked too much. Yeah. A bloody end for Carl Raider. I mean, I will say that I liked that there was an explosion happening around. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, listen, this was a fun story. There was a lot of fire. And like, um, yeah, just like I like the history of, of the Justice Department stuff. And th- like, you know, these guys being kids, I love the idea of this, this cursed 
Justice Department class that Dredd has where he, you know, he kills everybody. He was in a class. Where he's killed everybody so far that we've are they, met. Yeah, are they ever going to pull more people out of that roster? Because yes. there's not that many. No, I, I mean, I remember... I don't know if we'll see them before then, but I know in more modern times, um, they did a whole, like, there's a whole, like, cover actually by Mick McMahon, I believe, that's just of everybody that was in Dredd's class, and there's, like, 20 of them or something. Jesus, okay. And I think Dredd may have killed them all, or at least, like... <laughs> a sizable donation he, to the grave. He's the main guy that's taken out members of his class one way or another, you know? That just sounds like he's a murderer. I don't. I don't know if you can hear me shrugging, uh, <laughs> listeners, as uh, as I respond to, to Fox here. <laughs> Speaking of loiter, yeah. So Carlos Escara takes over on art for some Yuletide dread action. Have a cool Yule, buddy. This one's called Christmas with Attitude. Uh, yeah. Weather control is shot along the west side wall of Mega City One, so it's snowing and freezing cold as Dread patrols the streets in. A displaced person's camp, the McCratchit family begs for some help in the name of Grandpa Boo, uh, Broon. And the Broon's Fox, this famous uh, Scottish comic strip. Okay. Like, it's a family in a Scottish, codex, codex, uh, Scottish comic strip that, that puts out a Christmas annual every year, often with, like, a tin of, like... Uh, Shortbread cookie thing like that. Yeah, it's a Scottish tradition. No, not everything in Scotland's had. <laughs> Come on, buddy. But their pleas fall on deaf ears as fellow Cal Haber Eb or falls on the deaf ears of fe- of fellow Cal Haber Eb Scrooge with a J. The McCratchets have had it rough in the Big Meg. First, they lost their home in Acropolis. Then it was blowed up in Judgment Day. <laughs> oh, it's bad times. <laughs> Scrooge doesn't care, of course. Until suddenly he's woken up in the middle of the night by the purple ghosts of his mother and father. Who proceed to beat the shit out of him. Oh yeah, definitely. Help the McCratchets or get beaten up by ghosts. I know, this is a very spooky episode. Absolutely. Suddenly he hears a howl and from outside his window he sees a cursed earth dog vulture um, go through a hole in the west wall. And I love that this dog vulture's got like, I don't know, he's got like a bulldog head or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's very, it's very odd. <laughs> very dog and vulture at the same <laughs> yeah, time. Definitely. So nailed it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he heads out to shoot it, to make it as a dinner for the McCratchets, you know, echoing um, Ebenezer Scrooge, of course, getting a goose for the Cratchits and a Christmas sure. carol. Um but as he goes, he accidentally gets wi- gets winged by a Justice Department sentry <laughs> laser. Oh, God. He gets winged a lot. Yeah, no, it keeps happening. Well, it's a thorough defense system, you know? <laughs> Get these mutants out of here. Yeah, he gets he gets the dog vulture, and through the pain, he like, takes it out, brings it home, but then gets tagged a few more times by the sentry guns. <laughs> Dred's called in because something's obviously, like, triggering these guns. You got to deal with it. Finds the bleeding out Scrooge stumbling through the snow. Figures it's a mutant. Yeah, Dredd shoots him in the chest for good nature. Again, more mercy killing, basically. Um, <laughs> that Even that doesn't stop him, though, as he crawls to the McCratchit's tent door and dies. Giving them a dog head. Yeah, well, the remains of the dog vulture are definitely not enough for a Christmas dinner, And Fox. so what the fuck do they do, Conrad? Which is... 
I the turn I didn't see coming. Well, they're just gonna send this guy to recyc anyway, Fox. We might as well do what we can. And so they stuff and braise Ed, Eb McScrooge for their holiday feast. He's got an apple in his mouth and some mistletoe, or sorry, some holly. holly. Yeah, some holly in his butt crack. Happy Christmas to all. I, I really didn't see this coming. Long pig for Yule, Fox. Live I, have, I have questions about who's going to eat what. Because there are definitely mm. some off-limits items for the show. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's anything like actual pig, then my I've, I've been told that the face is the tastiest box. It's got a big honker. No, I actually don't. It's gross. All right. <laughs> anyway, I think we all know um, when it comes to Christmas and Fox that we've all committed any number of sins of consumption and things like that. Oh, God. A bunch of evil rich guys. We are just natural. Much like the bad guys in Thrill to Finn. Okay. <laughs> I was like, wait, because I got, that was like, that was very flesh vibes. Oh, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Sorry. Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. It's cold in Mega City One, Fox. It's <laughs> like you've just been doused by a couple gallons of ice cold seawater. Well, there we go. Love it. Like we see happening in Thrill to Finn. Gift robot, Pat Mills and Tony Skinner. Art robots, Jim Elston and Kevin Hicks. Lighting robot, a Steve Potter. So, Finn, oh, we'll recall last time that High Priestess Mandy has been... Yeah, double-crossed. Yeah, stole, has been apparently kidnapped by Lord Courtney, the head of the, um, of the Newt. But it's actually a double-cross because she's leading him into a trap. And so now Finn's going into that trap. Uh, and it seems like they've been doing this a lot. I mean, you know, the warp and whiffs of thousands of years of combat between Newt and Dragon. It's a whole thing, Fox. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Well, go down. Uh, the comic <laughs> opens with some stormtrooper-type guards arguing about listening for Finn as Finn sneaks up on him and blows him away. He's fully the beast Finn now, using his cloak of darkness to take out guards as he howls at the moon. Approaching the infrared alarm system, Finn summons the beasts of the forest to charge the line, setting off alarms and drawing out more goons who he garrots with vines like oh. a pagan Batman. Yeah, it's this weird uh, thorn vine Yeah, thing, rope right? of thorns, things we've yeah. seen this piece of war gear that he's had before, I think. Uh, the, so guards defeated Finn enters the mansion of Lord Courtney, but finds Mandy standing comfortably with the leader of the Shining Ones. She's not in any danger, Fox. Nah, man, this is all for you, buddy. Yeah. Courtney explains that Finn's been sold out and he'll find a cohort of prepared Shining Ones a bit harder of a target than the ones he's ambushed so far. Oh, yeah. I mean, these are top newts, right? Full. You're a f I'm a full setup. Oh, there we go. I've got all 20 wings and thousands of eyes. It's a terrifying image. That's why they say don't be afraid, Fox. <laughs> I mean, with any, anything that's that's got thousands of eyes... Yeah, no. That's a spider. Yeah, the eyes. It's have. really just a spider. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> All right. Oh no, Fox. Finn's been betrayed by a powerful woman. He's stripped of gear and taken away by stormtroopers to be destroyed personally by the Newt Lord No Siren. Oh. High Priestess Mandy and Lord Courtney spar verbally as she asks for Finn's helmet as a trophy, and things get a bit heated when Mandy and one of with Mandy and one of Courtney's goons, so yeah. she punches him out. Which I mean, fair fair deuce. Don't step to a super 
dragon goddess woman? Yeah, no, she's thousands of years old and is unable to be hurt because of how reality warps around her, you know. Yeah. Whole thing. Um, Mandy leaves as Courtney walks into his secret magic room, which again has kind of a has kind of a Third Reich feel. I'm not going to lie to you. About uh, that. I mean, it's got the, just whenever there's one of those big red banners with a white circle and an emblem fox. Oh yeah, you know it's getting getting a little Reiky here. <laughs> That's how I'm going to describe it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he goes in there where he dresses a bunch of dudes in tuxedos. He makes a big metaphor about sh- a humanity being sheep led to the abattoir. And then when you remove the snake-like letter S from the word slaughterhouse, you get its true meaning, the what? laughter house. What the f- I'm more of a fan of how the word manslaughter becomes a man's laughter. That's a pretty <laughs> solid piece of wordplay as well. Anyway... <laughs> Cut to a drunk. Yeah. At a safe corp brand jail, Finn awaits his fate as guards look on. And as they're waiting, they sort of reveal themselves to be uh, anchormen to each other and do that uh, oh, hello God. sailor handshake oh, under the leg and stuff I like fucking, that. I, I love it so much and hate it so much. The Masons. Or no, sorry. Water guys, I guess. Um, yeah, they're members of the New Society. Finn laments his, laments his face. When suddenly a black hole appears in his, or a black crack appears in his cell wall. Water, freezing cold salt water dribbling out the bottom of it. Ah, F. I'm going to get no siren. Bad times. It expands into a black hole. And then Finn realizes that no siren himself is on the other side of the portal. He screams for help, but the guards will clearly not provide any. He's got an appointment with God. Yeah, boy, I'm going to go to God. Going to tell him what's up. Is that like a, is that a British TV? I know. I think Waiting for God's old people. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, the hole's getting larger. <laughs> it's bad. Uh, Finn is, okay, here's here's where if you want to really talk about plot holes, Fox, we got a big one. Because this, this giant, um, there's this giant hole in the cell wall. We see Finn. He's thigh deep in salt water. Suddenly, the the, the door drunk. seems to open, and yeah. one of his buddies shows up. Well, it's the drunk from before. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Still, though, he does not seem to be bothered by entering this room that's full of water that Finn's no. in. No. Anyway, I would I would suggest everybody not worry about it too. Um, he <laughs> Here's gi- your hat and a dragon tooth. Yeah, he gives Finn his mask with five minutes of air in it and a dragon's tooth because it seems like this was all. Part of an elaborate plan. It's a triple cross. Okay. I mean. <sighs> triple cross. It's it's just one more cross. I mean, it's the it is the basic Finn strategy of um, oh, you thought you were beating me, but actually I'm tricky and so I win, which it seems to be how he wins all of his fights. <laughs> I yeah, it's fine. You go come from behind her, Fox. I just <laughs> I feel like if you're already going to do the double cross, it's a very small step to toss. Oh yeah, no. Once you're crossing, you keep at, you keep tossing them on there for sure. That's what Revolver Ocelot told me. That man, <laughs> who does he work for? Who knows? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can Finn's bloom on the battlefield, Fox? That's what I want. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, this will get Finn close enough to strike at Nosiren. If he's got the guts, because fools rush in where angels fear to tread. So here goes nothing. He puts on his helmet and dives right into that big old wall. Where his butt's showing. His butt's out. I think he... Hmm. 
Yeah, weird. <laughs> it's not in previous pictures. Party wants to say it's like the back pockets of like his pants looking like. I something. mean, that looks like his skin color. Yeah, I know he's converted to chaps midway through this nice. fight. I guess I don't know. Or somebody ripped his butt parts off. They don't show that happening in the, <laughs> in the art. I don't know. Who knows? Whatever. Um, yeah. So in a place both deep underwater and seemingly in the void of space, Finn approaches the glowing crystal heart of the siren. The two of them begin to spar verbally, the siren trying to explain how great and powerful his kind are while Finn is unimpressed, sort of theatrically. We learn that female newts are kept in laughter pits where they lay eggs and are eventually killed by their male offspring who harvest the tabula rasa, the source of their power from them. And Finn gets very high and mighty hippie of like, oh, we're we're all the same flesh. I don't judge your evil weirdness, man. Yeah, it's just your thing. Go ahead and eat your mom and take her glowstone. As Nasiris starts zapping Finn with mystical electricity. Man, don't say that about my culture, I guess. Don't say I get my power for women because I harvest from them. Yeah. Listen to this two-hour YouTube video. Oh, no. I've got important things to say about the relationships between men and women in our society. Oh, God. You're just... It's just turning into the golden one. Now it's a three-hour video. (laughs) The globalist agenda. Look at my hat. All right. Uh, Wow. Is it a fedora? It could be any number of hats, Fox. I don't want to restrict myself as to who I'm making fun of here. Um... (laughs) The siren taunts and gloats over Finn, doing your standard supervillain thing that allows Finn to get close enough to attack him. Um, Sorry, attack the glowing light of his tabula rasa with the dragon's tooth. Oh, the dragon bites back! Hell yeah, baby! He keeps stabbing as strange tentacles engulf him. Nice. At last, though, he finally gets that tabula rasa all for himself. The siren says Finn is now a god, but Finn disagrees, even as the tabula rasa connects him with time, space, the universe. He sees history, how humans learned um, language and civilization were weakened by it, which, again, we've sort of seen in the horn god and stuff like that. Sure. Um, And how then language led to war and witch burnings and all that kind of stuff. Uh, The siren offers Finn a seat at the table controlling the universe. But Uh, Finn sees him for true as just another bug-eyed monster with delusions of grandeur. So instead, he attaches the tabula rasa to his helmet and uses (laughs) his power to destroy Nasiren and then go flying back out the hole he came in on, uh, bursting out the building he was detained in with a giant blast of glass and water. Now he has the power. Yep. I mean, he does. I feel like an asshole like him is not going to fare any better than these guys with that. I mean, presumably he's just going to give the helmet back to Mandy or whatever. Oh, God, what a dog. And she's probably going to, like, teach... I haven't read ahead, I'm sorry. But um, she's probably just going to be like, oh, thanks for getting me the tabula rasp. And then she's going to, like, put it in, like, a shot glass or something. You know, she's going to disrespect this thing that he's worked for because it's the pointlessness of the struggle or something like that. Ah, God. You know what I'm talking about. No, I do. It's just this, I I really, I know that that's likely to happen. It just is disappointing. Well, you know, it's how it goes. You know, these guys, they, you know, that's the paganness. Pagan means you can't celebrate victory. That's, I feel like that's not what it means. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. Next time, the God Finn. He did it. The biggest 
The Godfin? That's right. Really? Yeah, the Godfish. You're I'm just making my, it up. You're blow, not, no, not, you're blowing, not, no, you're blowing my mind here. A top fish would be a Godfish. Not, yeah. not making a reference to anything. That's just random Godfish facts, Fox. <laughs> <laughs> would have also accepted Windfish. Godfish, fo- Godfish, God facts, Fox. <laughs> hey, but, you know, meanwhile, you know, I'm talking about fish. But you know who doesn't eat fish, Fox? Oh, God. Real three dead meat. There's a lot going on here. Oh my god. Script robot Mike Cook, art robot Simon Jacob, letting robot Alita Fell. Prog 812 of Dead Meat is just the prologue, basically, which is a big timeline explaining the world we find ourselves in more detail. Basically, the disasters that we've always been warned about take place. Massive flooding in coastal areas, droughts, or the land. Um it just sort of does a timeline from 2002 onwards. I do like that there's kind of a drumbeat of um, new diseases that render different kinds of meat inedible. Yeah. Mad cow disease, mad pheasant disease, etc., which I think feels very current to when this came out in 1992. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, exactly. When, when the mad cow disease happened. was a yeah. really big deal. I mean, I, I'll say that they got one thing wrong, very, very wrong on this timeline. Oh? Yeah. Okay, well, we'll get The flooding it. in London didn't happen in 2014. As we all know, it happened in 1990. That wasn't because of climate change, Fox. That was because of a nuclear missile. No, a nuclear sub that was destroyed by mm-hmm. a nuclear icebreaker in the Arctic Circle. One man's conflict is another man's global. <laughs> That's true in both directions, honestly. But also, this is a different timeline, buddy. I Come know, on. I know. But I, Come I on. want them all to be married anyway. No, no, I don't want Dead Meat to be part of my Judge Dredd cosmology. Thank you very much. It's fine where it is. <laughs> just keep my peas and corn separated. Just, just keep it off here in the nebula. <laughs> and maybe if someone travels between dimensions, oh, we'll keep it. We'll there. keep it where we keep all the dead horses in underwater Parliament. Of course. Where else would they be? <laughs> um, so we get. Um, so yeah. So there's all these mad, mad animal diseases. Um, there's a massive drought in the USA and goes communist. Texas declares independence, although here's where it's, we have one of these Americanisms, Fox, because Texas uses a Confederate flag, the Confederate battle flag, like the Dukes of Hazzard uses and stuff like that, sure. as opposed to the Lone Star flag, which a free Texas would probably use. It's not the right. In this fictional setting, shut up, it matters. Um, <laughs> Massive flooding makes London the second Venice, and then massive migrations lead to Italy being abandoned, so London becomes the only Venice. Okay. Well, <laughs> Droughts start to intensify. The U.S. has revolutions and civil wars as a now-fertile Africa becomes the world's largest exporter of Hell grain, yeah. saving Europe with a Euraid program, kind of like Farm Aid or whatever else. By the 2030s, science is rolling out super meat, genetically engineered animals to satisfy needs. Real weird looking animals. Yeah, well, they look, to me, they look kind of like pigs, but they're like, have you ever heard the rumor that Kentucky Fried Chicken had to change its name to KFC? Oh, because the the chicken without bills? Yeah, you could just, because you couldn't. They had to make it initials because they could no longer legally call the call the genetically modified beasts they were using yeah. for their for their food chickens anymore. Yeah. And so I kind of imagine these be pig versions of that where they've just been designed to have like jelly bones and you know <laughs> very small heads, but then a lot of like hocks and the, things the like marrow that. is hot sauce. So if you exactly. break the yeah, bone, you yeah, can yeah, pour yeah, it on yeah. It's all it's all designed. It's it's a beast designed for meat processing. 
as opposed to a, a wild animal that's then been processed upon or whatever. It'd be great if it just like looked at you and was so excited about you eating it. Gonna do that whole uh, um, oh restaurant the the universe. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Yeah, happy to be your steak, etc. <laughs> that's too much for me, honestly. I don't like that. <laughs> you don't want your lobsters talking to you. I don't want anything I eat to be able to talk about. That's why I don't eat parrot. That's why I don't eat people. If a gorilla learns sign language, I can't eat it anymore. That's fair. I couldn't eat that gorilla from Congo. Oh, yeah. No. And she had a talk box. Really couldn't then. Yeah. I mean, you could hear what she was saying through her sign language. I know. Don't explain I'm Congo just, to me. I'm just saying, like, how does it know the movements? Because that... it's it's got freaking Wiimotes in there or whatever. Okay. Yes. <laughs> That's a good answer, I Or guess. like the dealies oh that you use like an Oculus Rift or something yeah. like that. She's got power gloves on there. Oh, there we go. I'd accept. It's a power glove ape. So bad, Fox. Um, <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, but then the hormones within the super meat mean that it's soon banned. We see these giant, you know, basically fatties from Judge Dredd complaining about it. Uh, reporter Vera Brent finds a weird man-sheep in 2034, causing livestock research to be halted. The next year, wonder wheat, which is resistance to climate change. Now, I was interested to see the use of the word climate change here, actually. Um, Just in 1992, I thought we were still saying global warming for the most part Mm. then. But anyway, uh, wonder wheat is developed, resistant to climate change. And three years after that, Brett's radical Green Party takes power on a food-based manifesto as land is turned over to wonder wheat production. By 2040, meat eating is banned in Europe with Pulse, the police undercover livestock special enforcement, something taken out, any meat sellers, and the man-sheep Inspector Ram is made a figurehead for this. And by 2045, Vera Brett joins him as an undercover agent, and it's now 2047, so we can start the story. And I'll say it goes, it's crazy that she'd go from prime minister to like reporter Special, and, yeah. and like meat cop, I guess. I don't know. She lives a, a very different life from you. It just, it, I don't, I don't think there was a need to make her a central figure in this history, but <laughs> they've done it anyway. Welcome, welcome to dead meat. Mm. It probably doesn't matter. Over the, um, in the canals of future London, we're welcomed to the Goldilocks, to, to Goldilocks's gas box, a kettle talk show, I guess. Love these in England, as always. Um, the guests are Vera Brett and Jed McDonald, MacDonald, the Texan ambassador to London. Big cowboy caricature. He's got a Dixie flag, um, vest and stuff like that. And, and says that there's been a rise in both Texas tourism and immigration from Europe. Because Texas is a meat-based culture is what everybody likes. <laughs> Only meat. It'd be so unhealthy for it. I mean, maybe they've, like, engineered it so they've got, like, meat that's, like... Electrolytes. Yeah, it's got the it's got what your what your body craves, folks. Yeah, that's fair. You got fucking kale meat or something. Like, it's half kale, half, half pig or something like that. God. Full of heavy metals. <laughs> um, Vera, of course, is grossed out by the thought of meat eating and kind of says, like, oh, you'd eat the muscles of animals? That's disgusting. Yeah, oh God. Big, uh, big uh, freshman year of college. I've gone vegan energy from, from yeah. here. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, on the waterfront, a meeting of the Dixon Dock mob is taking uh, place. <laughs> and I feel like this, the name of this group might be a reference to long-running TV show Dixon of Dock Green, I guess. I don't know vague reference if it is it's all very official they've got minutes and stuff when we learn that the mob has six tons of sausages 
and they haven't been able to sell them because someone's moving in on their turf. It's time to find out who. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. Back at the TV station, Brett says that smart people don't eat meat. And if you return to Europe with meat in your system, you will be arrested. Like, like it's got to be fully pooped out of you. Seriously. Dreads, uh, sorry, Jed's had enough of all this um, and grabs the camera to make a direct, a direct appeal to come and eat all this dang meat we got in Texas. We got too much of it. You need to eat it. That's right. Inspector Ram, seeing us on TV, butts the TV screen. He's at a customs checkpoint full of people arriving in London from Dallas. He tells his hippie cohort to pump all the passengers' stomachs <laughs> as he goes to talk to the captain. Oh. The talk show's over, and McDonald heads home as Brett asks Goldilocks some pointed questions about the fur rug in her most recent sexy music video. I mean, was it a music video? It was. It was kind of implied that it was like a... Oh, yeah, well, I mean, it's a vid, they say, but I just kind of was like, listen, I've seen plenty, I've seen a fair amount of music videos of just oh, that, sure. are, uh, that, that are of a lady writhing around on a, like a, on like a, a fur um, rug or something like I that. I mean, there's White Snake and. That's right, yeah. yeah. She's my, she's my Cornish pasty. <laughs> As opposed to Chick, because it's a meat pie fox. Oh, my God. See what I'm talking about here? Yes. All right. <laughs> These jokes, terrible. Ugh. All right. Um, as and Ram expect inspects the Texas plane, and he just sort of does it the old-fashioned way by headbutting it and making it explode into a thousand pieces. Yeah, and then he finds a box of meat. Yeah, property big of Texas crate full of meat inside. Open up a five-star cell for whoever this dang meat belongs to. Meanwhile, at the King Vic Club, an old drunk is being tossed out by a couple goons when Ram shows up riding on his aqua cycle. The goons tell him to toss off until he pulls his badge and beats them all up. I mean, yeah, I guess that's what you do. Uh, I guess they had guns. They pulled guns yeah, on him. Yeah, they, right? so. they said it was a private club. They pulled <clears throat> guns on him, and so Ram just kicks the shit out of him, as you do. Um, back at the studio, Vera's still grilling Goldie over the source of the rug, and eventually she says she got it from Jed McDonald, and the rug is currently in the Texas Embassy. Meanwhile... The ambassador's having a supper. Oh, but it's a dang vegetable, veggie table quiche kind of thing. What the heck is this here? Now, where's that dang darn meat that veggie I got? Veggie tables. And plus, quiche is super insulting because I think by the 90s, that book, Real Men Don't Eat Quiche, had already put that uh, out and stuff like that. Yeah. Quiche is delicious. Well, enjoy not being a real man in the eyes of some dude from the <laughs> 80s, Fox. Did you handle that? Is yeah. your masculinity strong enough for that, buddy? Yeah. Iron ironclad junk on this man. Couldn't be me. I'm very sensitive about that kind of stuff. <laughs> kick your ass. You tell me I'm going to eat this quiche, I'll kick your ass. Stop looking at me. Um, <laughs> um, all his meat's been impounded, it seems. Uh, pounded meat, indeed. Back at the bar, <laughs> Ram is bursting in as the Dixon Dock mob has a few drinks. Ram orders a carrot juice and asks pointedly about a Texas meat shipment. The gangsters overhear this, and one of them tries to, like, smoothly and subtly tell Ram that it's the ambassador doing this meat running. But Ram can't really pick up on that, I guess. So he just kicks the crap out of this guy anyway. Like, I'm trying to help you. Yeah, it seems very odd. I've definitely had this happen as a dungeon master playing D&D, where I'll try to put, like, someone who's, like, a, a character that's trying to tell the players 
something like like oh just make some vague like things yeah, and they'll hey. pick up on my hints but instead they actually they'll like that guy knows something that oh my god beat him up cast some truth spells on him like i don't know i'm just a minor <laughs> I character feel, i feel like casting spells on people should is generally frowned upon eh, it's okay um anyway okay <laughs> I mean, you're going to do it, so you might as well <laughs> fit it into your moral compass, buddy. Um, um, so, at Pulse Headquarters, Vera and Larry, which I guess is um, Ram's first name, Larry Ram, they compare notes, and it's all pointed to the ambassador, and then the ambassador calls them, demanding the return of the meat they confiscated, so I guess that wraps it up. I don't know. This case is solving itself. Seriously. The Dixon Dock gang are loading heavy crates onto a boat. Their boss says this has to go off without a hitch. Whatever it is, the whatever it is they're doing, the police won't be happy to find it. In the morgue, it seems that the Texas meat has proper import documents, and Brett gathers it up and prepares to take it to the Texas City Embassy to keep um, Ram from causing an international incident. It's like Lethal Weapon Two, but about like you know a box of meat, dinner stuff, exactly. <laughs> And it seems that she's too late because Ram's mid-international incident as he butts his way in to the uh, Texas embassy. He's here to arrest McDonald for, for various meat-based crimes. As again, McDonald just pulls out his embassy pass and leaves the weapons way too out of all this. His meat's all legal, thank you very much. Which seems odd because you'd think they wouldn't allow you to import meat. No, it's like a cultural thing or something. I mean, oh, sure. We've seen that Texas has a meat-based culture. So it's like a religious exemption or something like that. Oh, I guess. maybe. I'll say also that like diplomatic immunity doesn't really make you super above the law. <laughs> like if you like kill somebody. Which he was trying to do right there. Right. It's not that you just stay there and nothing happens. Like you get recalled by your government, you know, it's just that you don't get prosecuted by local laws, yeah. you know, like you're still in, you're still in trouble, mister. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> We're going to have to put you somewhere else. You're, you're under arrest. Uh, wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the post agents leave the premises, but stick around in the area to watch a bunch of diplomats and high society types arrive for a meat fest at the embassy. But among the fancy boats is the rundown one of the Dixon docks as they pull big guns from those crates and open fire on the embassy. Oh, boy. At first, they think it might be fireworks, but then the place explodes with a craft loom. So that's a diplomatic incident right there. <laughs> Next time, London's burning. That's fine. Yeah. Dead meat's fine. It's okay. I may not defend it as hard as I did the last one I because mean, the last one was hilarious. I would say that this it, you're in a rock and a hard place with a dead meat too because you've got to because it's a weird enough uh, premise that you've got to start world building. But sure. When yeah. you start world building for dead meat, you also expose a lot of the nonsensical parts of dead meat. I mean, yeah, the prime minister turned. Whatever turned whatever, right? And just pumping everybody's stomach at the border crossing and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, how would you even check for it? Like, and, again, that's it's pretty invasive. Yeah, and, like, arresting people for having meat in their stomachs and stuff. That's uh, that's weird. Yeah. It's too weird. Well, yeah, because they're not eating it there, right? Also, just that, that all of society seems to be about meat smuggling, I guess. I, I mean, fucking everybody is doing it because and selling like, it. Like, like marijuana is illegal in the U.S., Fox. 
But I don't think I don't think the world is as focused on marijuana or I mean, it was, I guess, whatever. But in like the 80s, I don't feel like America was as marijuana smuggling focused as dead meat seems to be about meat focused. Yes. Anyway, whatever. We've we've got to we've got to test everyone's urine and blood when they come back full shim or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, come on. Tired of not not testing people for this stuff. Whatever. Yeah, so you know, we're all having fun. Listen, when you get when you get done with eating meat fox or not eating meat, what's up? It's just time to chill out. And relax from thrills for just a moment. No! And check out some non-thrills covers and nerve centers. No! That's fine. Eight, Prague 812, Stakeout. Who watches oh. the judges? Peter Doherty paints Dread with a big old gun in, the light, um, in front of a light-filled cityscape. I think it's pretty nice. Yeah. In the Nerve Center, Tharg is starting to tease some long-term projects, including a Glenn Fabry drawn Slane story that'll be out next fall, um, and that the crew will appear at a new art con- or a, at a new age convention called the Festival of Tales from the Earth. What? Whoa, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the prog ends with a tiny input page with a blonde, real cool judge um, who's like a cool world thing, I imagine. And letters complimenting Zenith and house music. Mm-hmm. Then the rest of the page is just a massive exit poll. And then the build muscles fast ad. God, that thing just never goes away. Listen, you got to build these muscles. Prog ends with a fiery tarot card inspired Revere pinup. The witch boy all naked and buff. And a quote about fire that I can't seem to find any references to online. That maybe <laughs> just be an original. 813, stake out. But steak, like, with the E, like like the food, Fox. No, I get it. And this, it, it, You would only understand that if you had the previous prog. Yeah. No, well, people know. Oh, yeah, that's right, because it's steak out with an A. And, and then, then this one's steak out. You know, yeah. it rewards the, 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 the continuing reader, I guess. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Over Confederate flag, uh, Inspector Ram says, no meat, please, we're British. Okay. From the long-running stage play, no sex, please, by the way. In the Nerve Center, it seems 2008 will be featured on the show Artifacts on the BBC and Tharg Plugs, both the full return of Dead Meat as well as a new Robo Hunter story. Uh. The input page is pictures of a cool Skull Soldier dude and a Johnny Alpha Transformers mashup. That is a horror. It's just kind of his head on a bumblebee or something like that. Letters make fun of the rosette of Sirius, compliment Zenith, and ask if Tharg photosynthesizes because he's green. There's also <laughs> a bit of a, of, a, of a misprint here, Fox, as okay. um, there's a reprint of a letter that was also written in Prog 18 about the character Wolfie Smith in the TV show Citizens. So that's just whatever. People not knowing thing, or just a mix-up in the editorial department. Interesting. The Prog ends with an ad for the 2080 Winter Special, which we'll be talking about next week, along with the long-belated actions. Cool. Yeah. It's all right. Anyway, Prog 18, here's Sam. Apostrophe in there as Anthony Williams draws a crazy slade jumping through a window. In the nerve center, Tharg's doing some intergalactic traveling, then teases the imminent return of Brigand Doom. And some more long-term thrill like Skiz Part 3, which we won't see till 1994. Ah, boo. A new Slain story, also not till 94. Okay. Bad Company and Tyranny Rex, which will be next year. Okay. 
Hey, why not? I like Tyranny Rex. Yeah, definitely. Uh, while three Scott men, while we, we learn that three Scots are working on an incredibly offensive thrill, which I'm going to assume is going to be Big Goddamn Dave, which I'm not stoked. <laughs> the input page is early this prog, or er, early on in the prog, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, right after Dread. Um, yeah, with a big picture of Judge Honey Monster, which is based on TV ads for Honey Monster Sugar Puff cereal. Oh. Wow. That's weird. Um, letters ask about having more women in 2000 AD, request return of bad company. And there's a letter calling out quite a few recent subpar thrills, including several of our whipping boys, <laughs> while another compliments Luke Kirby and Robo Hunter. What? No. People like it, I guess. Not Robo Hunter. No account for taste. Frog 815, ho, drockin' ho, creeps. Judge Dredd's got a Santa hat and a big bag of toys for, <laughs> for the uh, St. Root toy appeal. And this Xmas cover by Colin McNeil. In the nerve center, Tharg with a Santa hat wishes us season's greetings and enjoyment um, of all the usual stuff on TV. It's a very British version of all the stuff on TV. So it's like uh, The Great Escape, but also It's a Wonderful Life. He apologizes that several folks may not have been getting mugs. For writing letters, because that's the current reward for sending them in. But they should be coming out soon. Mid-Prog, there's an ad for the Terminator 2 arcade game on the oh, Sega yeah. Mega Drive. Have you ever seen a Terminator in 16 bits? And I'm like, well, I've seen it in, in a yeah, film. It's not great, you know, but it's it's fun. I love that game. Played it on the, played it on my Genesis in the US. Awesome. One of those <laughs> light one of those light gun shooters, which troll. Oh, awesome. The input page is a pretty cool picture of Joe Pineapples in a Speedo God and damn. Vest. And this art is done by future Jagex marketing artist Mark Montague. It's a small world. Oh, uh, There's letters about Finn, a suggestion that somebody named um, Woody Harlem play Dread in the movie. There's a, dis- I don't know, some British actor, I guess. There's some discussion over whether we've seen Dread's face before. And then Tharg shows us what we saw <laughs> in that one in Prague 6, which is just a big censored um thing over Tharg's face in Prog 8. It's horrible. Yeah. The Prog ends with Mick Austin drawing a very shadowy fin about to to blow a stormtrooper's face off, wishing us peace and goodwill on Earth. All right. All right. Hey, thanks, buddy. All right. And speaking of good vibes, good but terrifying vibes, Fox. Oh, my God. Let's get crazy with Thrill 4. Revere. Man, it gets so sexy. There's a lot going on. There's here. a lot. There's a lot of, of bodacious babery. That's right. Bodacious evil babery or something. Script robot John Smith, art robot Simon Harrison, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. So last time, Revere met a lady at the bar, and we learned that it's this uh, woman, uh, the Marcherad, who is this lady that he met in the yeah. first story yeah, as well. Yeah. She looks different, but whatever. They're both fugitives. Um, we, you know, and we saw them, like I said, having their meet cute in the first Revere story. And now we see Revere looking out a window, remembering the night a week ago when he met Chloe McKiernan at a club. And a mysterious hangman said that she was bait for those that wanted to kill him. Yeah. Not the goons he's been running from recently. The land, the, uh, the, the Lanzers, they're calling them. But from the big Universal's forces, we saw him interacting with Chapter Revere. The Hagman says that these forces want Revere to take a a to take a leap he might not take on his own, 
and tell him to remember that the lady is bait, you know, when things get tough here. Yeah. Like that's all she is. And sometimes bait is not in a good space long term. In the present, Chloe wakes up, calls him back to bed. It seems like they have an appointment, but instead they just start doing it. Yeah, they just bone a lot. Just a lot. Like some heavy butt, a lot of butts mm-hmm. in the course of this, Fox. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. Outside the room, a couple of characters from Revere's previous vision quest are disgusted by this carnal depravity. Oh my God. Gross. He should be mine. Yeah, there's a lady demon that sort of transitions from sexy to terrifying. And back, she's named Melchum, which is clearly, and she's clearly in deep lust with Revere. Oh, and yeah. is planning to kill Chloe so that she can have him to herself and her army of terrifying murder babies. I hate them. Murder, murder babies, babies, they terrify our dreams. Um, <laughs> That's they, good. Yeah, they swarm into the room, into the into the room they're in, and attack the couple. The tide's too much. They they try to fight back, but the tide's too much, and these murder babies grab Chloe and spear <laughs> her away. Covered in gore from the fight, Revere looks out to see Melchum Melchum. I don't know, fading away like the Cheshire Cat. Singing, we'll meet again. Don't, don't know, know where, don't, don't know when, when etc. His love has been taken from him. Le- Revere lies in the fetal position, remembering happier times when they sat nakedly in a room full of sexy imagery. As Revere tells her about his li- how his life has been weird recently, it's kind of a mashup, but sort of a, yeah. so- a more soft core version of the end of Fight Club. Um, <laughs> She crawls around languidly as she talks about how they first met, and then they start to get at it when suddenly the memory is ripped away and Malcolm returns. And it seems that they gave Revere this relationship with Chloe just to rip it away from him and break his mind, oh. which is weird. You know? I, yeah, like what? I, I mean, I guess I get it, but they hadn't been together for a really long time. It'd been like a day. Even for, let's, it's, it was like a week, it seems okay. like. But still, that is not a long time. These demons are jerks, you know, jerks with butts. Yeah, there's a lot of butt. Live it up. (laughs) Anyway, it seems that the demon is ripping away Revere's happy memories and replacing them with these agonizing moments from when she was taken away by the monsters. Um, Chloe has been taken to be captured in the mirror at the end of the world, they say. Oh, and that's isn't that the thing that he went to in the first yeah. one? Because that's that's the big structure that we see. Right. There's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot happening. Um, Revere chases after them, only to find himself standing before a giant black structure. Like you said, that's both. Yeah, what was at the end of the first Revere story and this car park that he's been obsessed with. It's his personal Calvary, and it's covered in apocalyptic graffiti, of course. That's Calvary-like where Jesus died, not like horses. I always thought, well, I guess. They're spelled different. Yeah. Revere is 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 making his way into the car park as Lancers observe some disturbances in the security systems. It's Revere sort of stealth killing a bunch of these guards that are swarming the place. What is Die Hard but in a car? I feel like there's at least one Die Hard that is actually in, in one of those big multi-level parking lot stuff. It wasn't two. Wasn't no, three. It must have it been could like be four. three, just because three is like they're driving around New York and stuff. Well, that's like true. That. Yeah, and I feel like Fast and the Furious has a lot of car parking lot actions. Um, uh, Michigas as well. Um, anyway, they think it's nothing. Then the lights go out, 
and that's nothing too, it seems like. And then Revere is upon them, and he's just God. killing everybody in sight. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> My favorite thing is like they're like, "Hey, Captain, Captain, uh, respond." And he's like, oh, he's not going to be talking. I cut his fucking head off. Why don't you try saying it again?" <laughs> it's just like, yeah, he's he's just on a murder spree. It's great. Definitely in the blazing sun outside the place, the Lancer captain finally gets word that what's happening and mobilizes his goons, saying, "Shoot on sight. He can't get away this time." They follow a trail of blood into the darkness of oh. the car park to find a suspended body and revere waiting for them and some hidden machinery with the goddamn minigun. Hell yeah, buddy. He blows them all away, then walks out onto the roof of the car park. His body is a machine, an engine of destruction. But then that Lancer Captain Jerk just shoots him right in the chest. Goddamn. That said, it's time for a rooftop sword fight. Let's Fuck get yeah. awesome. Revere leaps in, a hollow man, no friends, no family, no memories. The captain uses a gun as well as a sword, but the bullets seem to have no ref- no effect on Revere. So he beats down the captain, cutting through the tendons of both of his arms. But instead of finishing him off, Revere sees a white butterfly swoop by. And I think you may remember last episode when he was training, he did a thing of summoning a whole bunch of butterflies. Yeah. To where he was, I guess. Just some symbolism. I don't know exactly. Whenever I see butterflies now, I think we're so over. Well, it's, I mean, they're, they're a transformative animal, right? Yeah. So it's a transformation mm. uh, thing, I think. I like it. Take your heart. Okay. Never <laughs> Uh, Revere feels himself dying, having taken, you know, a bunch of wounds and stuff like that. And instead of choosing violence and killing the captain, he follows his heart. He follows the butterfly. He can see everything across the city from here. And the sword, and with sword in hand, he leaps after the insect, a leap into the unknown, off the side of this massive building. The end of Revere! I mean, he's just going to fall and die. I would I would put a pass in for more stuff to happen. So is is this the end of Revere? No, no. Revere will be back in almost exactly a year, right at the end of nineteen ninety. Oh fuck yeah, awesome! But that and, and that'll be the third and final part of Revere for many many years. I believe that actually really really recently, like twenty twenty one, they brought Revere back. But it's awesome. It's real awesome. Yeah. I feel like honestly, what what ends it is more that like I feel like Simon Harrison goes and moves on or something like that. Yeah, fair. Know? Like again, it's one of these ones that's more built around um, availability of creative teams than anything else. <laughs> you know, because sometimes, listen, certain people work on a comic fox and they work together really well, and it's like magic. Yeah, is that is that where we go? <laughs> and speaking of magic, buddy. Oh yeah, no. Well, listen. Listen, I'm, you know, these transitions, Fox. They're perfect. They're a high wire act. And sometimes when you fall, you land real bad. <laughs> no, I thought that was good. Speaking of which, 305, the Journal of Luke Kirby. I like that land real bad. Oh, my God. That's my night. That's my nightmare, Fox. Uh, script robot, <laughs> Alan McKenzie. Art robot, John Ridgway. Lettering robot, Annie Parkhouse. Last time. Young alchemist Luke Kirby kicked his cousin Kim out the side of a steam train. <laughs> that there's there was a reason for it. He didn't just do it out of spite. He did it though, and then magically <laughs> did the same to the evil vampire monster called the Night Walker. But the Walker grabbed Luke and came with him. 
But while Luke has managed to tuck and roll successfully onto the grass, the Nightwalker has been impaled through the chest by a male hook next to the tracks. Ooh, I don't like it's it. It's really gross. It really reminds me um, of that one part in Hot Fuzz where the dude gets the steeple through the bottom oh, of the jaw. Oh, I didn't see that. There. Oh, you got it. It's, it's good. It's a good movie. Um, <sighs> it's got this one really part that like gives me the shudders, though. That's oh. fine. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's hanging from this post through his chest, impaled on the sunlight. And he's crying. He's not having a good time. Having a bad time. He's burning up in the sun as well. God. In an extremely rainbow sherbet colored page, <laughs> um, we see the walker burning as he offers Luke the world and threatens him with a thousand deaths as the boy just looks on, remembering the lessons to be without fear. I'm not going to lie. Like a lot of this stuff is really summing up stuff that we've talked yeah. about through this story yeah, exactly. of Luke Kirby. So he doesn't stand alone on its on its own that all that well sort of in this episode. Um, yeah. But, you know, again, um, he talks about how Zeke told him um that to be a wizard is to be a leader or sorry. He see, he here talks about like the downsides of all these things being offered, I guess that like, you know, he offers him to become king of the world. And he's like, ah, oh, but to be a leader is just to be held prisoner by the people you rule. And Damn. things like that. Think about it. You know, maybe it's better to just be a hobo. He's a bitch. <laughs> uh, That's just all just seems like homeless man. Logic. It is. It is what a hobo would tell you, I guess. Um, <laughs> Uh, and he says that a warrior must be without fear, of course. The walker pleads for mercy, but it's too late, and soon he's reduced to just dust on the wind. <laughs> Luke reflects in all this and runs to find his cousin Kim, and the two of them walk back to town. The day is all saved, it seems, as Luke and Zeke have a final discussion. Uh, Kim and Luke's mom are at the hospital, just FYI. Now, so- well... Yeah. Zeke's doing real good for someone <laughs> who recently had several holes stabbed into his chest by I, a wooden stake. I mean, it's sorcerer. Uh, in sorceling, rather. Yeah, use some of that, um, whatever, chewed up leaf oh, things yeah. that, you, that you hated so much to oh, start this story. It's so gross. It's a homeless man's spit and some leaves. So I'm rubbing on you. He used to worry. You can't argue with the results, Fox. I, well, clearly he's alive. Yeah. That's what I said. It's a lot of leaves that you got to chew up and spit into your own chest cavity. It's fine. You, gotta, you know, you put them in a pouch. It's okay. <laughs> like pre-chewed. Yeah. And, and just like you just need to constantly keep it in saliva. It's a horseshoe of healing dip. Basically. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so. Healing it's, dip. Yeah. It's, or maybe healing snooze oh, if you're yeah. in Scandinavia. Um, it seems that the dead jester is going to take the blame for all these dead kids. So it's time for Z to get moving along. It seems he can't stay in one place for too long, possibly because of magic. He's trying to find his old home, not realizing that, you know, or sort of he he kind of gives this old um, metaphor slash parable about a frog trying to get someplace, but he can only jump halfway to his goal. And so he gets closer and closer, but he can never actually reach it because... First, you like if it's ten feet away. First, you go five feet, then two and a half feet. Then Hashtag wizard Five, then seven and a half, and whatever. I, it's a metaphor I've, I've actually used a couple of times in reference to this show and the fact that <laughs> as we do things, 2008 is also constantly advancing. Oh so yeah, it's very very difficult to catch up. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, a sorcerer is always on a journey, never arriving and in constant struggle. Only in death can he go home. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> Screw you. What a great fucking sentiment. Welcome to being a wizard. Peace, bitch. Hey, listen, I, I don't want, I don't like these white little lies they tell Harry Potter, all right? Whatever. Um, Zeke walks off and Luke once more finds himself a student without a teacher. The end of Luke Kirby. And we'll check in briefly on Luke in 93, both in a prologue in the progs and in the yearbook that year. But he won't be back for a full adventure until 1990. Okay. Ah, that's fine. It's, I'm, I'm guessing it's just another homeless person. I think this one's going to... I remember this one involving some kind of demon train. <laughs> but I don't know... You said the correct words. <laughs> yeah, like it's like Final Fantasy VI. Here. Oh my god, that shit. I want to but fight a demon train. Something. But yeah, that's that's my vague recollection. But we'll see. <laughs> Who doesn't want to fight a demon train? Again, I told you I did it in... Or no, I guess that was a ghost train. That's the same deal in my mind. Suplex that train, buddy. Fuck yeah. I should also mention that like the previous story um, of Luke Kirby, the relationship between writer... Alan McKenzie and artist John Ridgway has remained quite fraught. Um, oh, really? Like in the first one, we like they talk about like having an argument over who is who should get the credit of creating this character and story. Oh, okay. And in this one, it seemed uh, McKenzie said that that Ridgway took a really long time to paint the pages for this story. And I guess we you can sort of see that because I feel like they've been talking about Luke Kirby too, like teasing it in editorial pages for years. Um, Ridgway just says that, like, hey, like you told me to do it, but you didn't give me a deadline. Plus, I was like in the hospital for three months, almost dying. What so the fuck? Get off my ass or whatever. Oh my god! My current anti anti Mackenzie sentiment makes me want to back up Ridgway on this stuff, <laughs> whatever. And hey, speaking of things that I'm down on, fuck. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, it's time for thrill six. Robo Hunter. Not excited. That, now we have, you know, this is just more slades that I have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Anthony Williams, letting robot Ellie DeVille. Um, the, there's a little typo where the art and the lettering credits are reversed in Prague 813, where um, it says that Ellie DeVille is the artist and oh. Anthony Williams is the right, is the letterer, whatever. Anyway. Oh, great. Robo Hunter's back. Hooray. It seems Sam Slade has just saved the Pope, who's got a very working class English accent for I some reason. I will say I do like this Pope. That's the one thing that I will give this comment. He's a top Pope that we've seen in our podcast. Way better than that weird Robo Pope <laughs> that was in the Meg earlier this oh, year. Oh, God. Ugh. Robo. Um, yeah, but it seems some murderous carnival, cardinal bot... Um, try to, uh, to kill in the middle of a big stadium. Then robot goons from Baron Foreigner showed up and Sam blasts them too. Baron Foreigner. I don't know. Um, the Baron is arrested and it seems he did all this as a publicity stunt to get people to learn Esperanto. Fuck that. You familiar with Esperanto, folks? Uh, it is consi- it's supposed to be the super language. Yeah, but I've looked at it and I'm like, nah, I'm good. It's one of these conlangs, I guess. Instructed language or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the Pope says say hello the next time he's in Rome. Oi! Meanwhile, on a side alley somewhere, a person experiencing homelessness and his pet cat are shocked when a battle-damaged semi-robot Sam Slade, along with a monkey with a gas mask and boxing glove, <laughs> terminator their way onto the sidewalk. And burn his face off, really. Yeah, Sam Slade wants this, guy, this guy's coat and melts his face off with a fiery left hand to get it. At a pub, you know, at his local, Sam's getting his drink on, celebrating the money he got from the Pope as weirdos sing at the karaoke machine. 
Sam has some deep thoughts as a pair of large-ish ladies, I'm going to say. Yeah. Giggle and flirt Britishly with Sam in between eating various snacks. I've been told elsewhere that these they might be, you know, let's make fun of women characters from the British comic Viz, I guess. Okay. Call them the slags. I don't know if I like that very much. Whatever. No. Um, and they flirt with him. Sam says he's not that drunk, but later he is that drunk. <laughs> Yeah. And takes a gal named Tracy home with him to his apartment at the Andy Warhol block, which looks like the face of Andy Warhol. Yeah, I was about to say. That's <laughs> great. He lives in a, in a pimple on his cheek. Um, he explains he's a robo-hunter. It's an unusual job, and he, that makes him one of a kind, until he opens up his front door and finds Hoagie serving um, coffee to at least six different people that are obviously alternate universe Sam Slates. Fox, I've read comics. I know an alternate version of somebody oh, sure. when I see one. And also, Hoagie's cool now? I mean, he's not serving the coffee very well because he's overflowing. Because he's still got like the yellow crazy eyes that all the robots that were bad had. Yeah, but they rebuilt him at the end of that first okay. cyborg cop story. You know what? I'm asking too many questions that I don't care about. We just... I'm we sorry. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so this Terminator Slade, apparently called S um, Slade, with at least three S's and an apostrophe. It's not great. Is led by his, mon his monkey, Chirpy, and he's blowing away the owner of a gun store as he picks up more ordinance again. We're, I feel like we're calling out what movies Mark Miller has seen recently. He's clearly <laughs> just seen, just watched the first Terminator movie. I'm less sure about what this alternate universe stuff is from. I mean, multiverse commentary yeah, or something, right? Yeah, for sure. I don't. I just don't know what like what, what that would be in '90s. Anyway, uh, meanwhile, back at the Andy Warhol block, a bald, floating dude on Sam's couch. I just, I just, comics of the era, actually. This guy, very watcher guy right here. Oh, he's um, called the Voyeur. Yeah, he, ex he introduces himself as the Voyeur, uh, keeper of the cosmic balance. He's brought several alternate Slade. There's a fat Kevin Slade from Earth 245, female Samantha Slade from Earth 78, uh, a Rocky Saddam Slade from Earth 580. Oh, that's not aging well. <laughs> a dandy Quinton Slade from Earth 433, and Black Sam Shaft from Earth 650. Wowzers trousers. I don't like any of these. Mm. I mean, this actually starts feeling very Marvel now, just with the Voyeur and these numbered things yeah. and stuff like that. Um, the Voyeur explains the alternate reality stuff, which I feel like is pretty baseline if you're into science fiction these days. Like, we know there's alternate reality for him. Um, but it seems Sam's reality is, in fact, the prime reality, and there's 999 <laughs> others. But the Sam okay. from reality 666, that's the worst reality, oh. is a bioorganic robot bent on murder and destruction as we see Sam uh, burst through the gun store window to take out a police helicopter. Which, I mean, he rips one of the guys out by his head and throws him out. It is a pretty cool action scene, I'll say that for sure. Um, the voyeur can't affect things directly, but six Sam Slades might stand a chance against this robo-slade. I don't feel like they could. Although we do learn that this alternate Sam did kill every living being on his own home world and is now here on the base world for something called a reality bomb, which with the intents to destroy the universe, and we gotta stop him. 
I feel like there are so there's all these realities, right? Why does it have to be a sleigh did not say a sentient gun? I don't know. Something better than a, a shit robo hunter. Fox. Yeah. Gotta send a sleigh to kill us. <laughs> uh, okay. I hope you're embarrassed. Sam <laughs> is Riding that attack chopper into the sunrise, he kills the pilot at the orders of Chirpy, who is again this monkey that he's friends with, then prepares to crash it into the barracks of some kind of army base. It goes up with a massive cratchoom, then Sam bursts out of the wreckage, still on fire, and just starts blasting. Back at Andy Warhol, the voyeur... Uh, starts to explain how the reality bomb works as Sam continues to cut and, or to cut a swath of carnage through the army base, jumping through chopper windows and crashing. I'm getting closer to the reality bomb themselves. Again, this is pretty cool action as we're going yeah. through here. Excuse me. Um, as finally, he's getting closer to the reality bombs as finally the Sams plus Tracy arrive at the base. She's not sure what to do in this situation. Then Sam drops an armored truck on her and kills her. Sam taunts the other Sam Slades with the reality bomb in hand. It's clearly time for a multi-Sam showdown. Next time, the mother of all battles. Is this only going to be like five, six progs? I think it's going to. I think we're going to get get like one issue of this next time. Yeah, because this is pretty much done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's just a quickie, basically a little four. Thank God, four or so issue one. We're going to get. Listen, we're going to be just hopping in and out of Sam Slade for the next year. Or okay, so. Okay, that's well. As long as they don't stick around. <laughs> I hope you like Sam Slade. Out of all the <laughs> Sam Slades in the world. Oh, God. Anyway. Hey, but you know, listen. It's a- Sam Slade, bright and colorful. They're making a lot of people ghosts because of the murder. <laughs> now let's go to the opposite where things are black and white and we're sort of talking to and getting shotgunned by ghosts with Real 7. Brigand Doom. We got zombies. We got seances. We got ghosts. We've got hungry people. What more could you want? Yeah, you got your you got this whole mythos inside my cyberpunk story. Fuck, I don't know how I feel. <laughs> Skip robot Alan McKenzie, art robot Dave Antiky, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. Brigand Doom three, and this one's called Spirits Willing. It's late night in the city as a truck with food for a government banquet. It's stopped by a geezer in the road, isn't it? But it turns out to be that damn brigand dude with a shotgun. (laughs) He commandeers the truck and drives off. Elsewhere in the city, a seance is being held in the apartment of socialized Madame Blavatsky, which, of course, as I feel like I mentioned constantly, it seems like, is the name of the German philosopher who's Theos... Theos... Philosoph... Fuck, I don't know. (laughs) Her beliefs and society influenced both the nascent New Age movement and parts of the Third Reich, like the oh the part like the the part of Nazi thinking that made them want to go after the Ark of the Covenant in real life or whatever. What the fuck? Like influenced by Blavatsky. Anyway, great. The seance begins, and a voicely ghostly voice tells the counselor that um or tells the counselor there that he'll have a chance to further his ambitions at the banquet tomorrow. As at an encampment near a highway, Doom has arrived with that food truck. Sweet. And trades all of these people's foods 
for what's in the truck. He also says he smells funny because he... Oh, hey, I'm dead. Don't worry about me. All my teeth are nice, though. Ah, Doom's going to swap out the rich people food for poor people food. It's a wacky caper. (laughs) Can't wait till there's just a crate of rats in there. Next time, let them eat cake. Nice. Fine, just a little one prog intro to this new Doom story. Love I'm it. glad that he's back to getting justice for these weirdos in this city. Yeah. I feel like that's the superior kind of Doom story as opposed to stuff. Oh, the zombie one was horrible. I'm I'm just glad to see him back with a shotgun doing, well, anything really. Yeah, shotgun was... violence, shotgun justice, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Shotgun justice, shotgun justice. Only way. All right, so that takes us. Let's stay black and white here, Fox, for one last story. Thrill 8 Future Shocks. This story's called Attack the Crab Monsters. <laughs> Script robot Tim Bollard, art robot Tim Bollard, letting robot um, Annie Parkhouse. A fun little space thriller, I thought, here. Very easy, very quick. Just yeah. a colonel is abducted by aliens and killed with one of the crab aliens metamorphizing to look like the colonel to start an alien invasion. But then that alien is abducted by other aliens planning the same thing. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's fine. I like these alien designs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, this one with the giant tongue. and teeth Yeah. They're, and like, they're like big toothy slugs or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It's nice. And that's it. And hey, with that, my friend. Hey. We have reached the end of the thrills for Prugs 812 or yeah, 812 to 815. And the end of 1992. Thank God. I can't wait to get to 93. Oh, man. Going to be a little bit. But until then, I have one question for you. I can only think of two answers to those questions. Two parts. <laughs> and those qu- and the questions are, what were your top and bottom throws for these brogs? Uh, bottom is Robo Hunter. That was a fairly easy one. Mm. I, I'm just not. Uh, I'm going to keep whipping it. Um, dead meat is kind of on notice. I'm like, ah. I man, maybe no, no. It's got to be Robo Hunters on bottom. I'm not going to switch it out. I mean, don't let me talk you out of any dead meat slander for sure. I yeah, no. This one's starting to not be good. There's a lot of the the cracks are starting to show. Um, but in terms of top man, got to be honest, it's going to be Revere. Mm-hmm. I I just like the combination of of story writing and art. I think it's just so strong right now. Sure. The I think it's its greatest fault is that it's kind of, it feels like it was rushed mm. towards the end, right? I mean, this revere is as long as the first one. Sure. It's interesting to see, but I, I agree that I would I would love if there was more time given to these given to these stories. Six progs is like I would love it if they'd managed to stretch out to like eight progs. Yeah, I like just that. you know, I would have wanted to build up on the female <laughs> character at least a little bit more. Yeah, definitely I would have loved to know more about Chloe and just yeah, and just like Things seem to happen so fast in a lot of these things, but yeah. because it's fast, also means there's just these apocalyptic action scenes. Yeah, exactly. Well. Oh, fuck, that was great. Um, JD was amazing. Uh, just for a special mention, I the fact that he had to shoot his own wife caught me very much off guard. That yeah, was very sad. Did. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then, uh, of course, the Christmas feast of a, of a human. It's like. I I respect people who want to put in cannibalism. <laughs> sure, but it was yeah, it was a lot. It's just a, yeah, an extremely silly Judge Dread for Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Conrad came back at you. What are your top and bottom thrills, baby? Mm, I will say I want to mention. I think it's kind of funny that both 
the two, both 2000 AD and the magazine this this week both have Christmas stories, and both of those stories are riffing off of the Christmas off of a Christmas Carol. Really? But they're but they're doing different parts of it. So oh, like, okay, that's neat. So like this one had like Scrooge and the Cratchits and stuff, and a little bit of like the Ghost of Christmas Past and stuff. Whereas in the megas, you know, spoilers, I guess for the next big bag one, but um, Dread will like have a concussion and then he'll see the ghost of like Rico's um, sort of <laughs> showing him the past, present and future of his Christmas lives as he chased somebody named Marley. So, like we're hitting, what the hitting fuck? all the high spots in there basically. Um, I'll, I think I'll join you with Revere. Like that a lot. Like I wit, like, I feel like, I feel like I'm almost doing a disservice to Revere by really trying to pick up on what the exact plot is, as opposed to just letting the art kind of wash over me, I think, mm. because Harrison's work is really beautiful and just like visceral and all these, you know, the, both, yeah, the la- both the landscapes and just the people and his characters and stuff are really amazing. And like, you know, I, I've certainly gone on record as being against um, Harrison at the start, but his style has really grown on me. And yeah. Now I think it's yeah. one of these are really like, unique 2080 things. Well, they, I mean, you had said they basically let him off leash. Yeah, I mean... For this whole... This whole for the Revere story. Yeah, this whole story is, like, we talked about this in the first Revere, too. Mm. It's basically John Smith just sort of writing something that gives Simon Harrison a chance to draw as much crazy shit as he wants, basically. <laughs> and so, I think because of that also, it's not fair to be too hung up on the plot, I mm. guess. Because the plot's more there to just move things along to sort of generate the fights that we're seeing in this one. <laughs> Which was awesome. Yeah, or or the sexiness that we're seeing in this one as well. Yeah. You know? Oh, my God. Um. Yeah. For my bottom. <laughs> did you say Robo Hunter for yours? I did. Yeah, I mean, we could we could make it a double punishment for yeah. both of them. I mean, I'll certainly, no, I'll certainly go solidarity with this one. Robo Hunter was my least favorite one by far. Just don't like this Robo Hunter at all. Well, it's it's just Robo Hunter's overplayed now. I feel like yeah now now the now he's oversaturated now there's just a lot of it and it just keeps coming in here like we just finished Return to Virtus like last episode yeah exactly one before that and now we're doing a whole new story and we're gonna be doing another one soon as well like there's so many more properties that they have that are more interesting than this this really fe- I mean this just feels like another one of these times where I feel like editorial thinks they've really struck gold with these robo hunters and so they're just them out quite a bit because like because you know you can see how they've streamlined the 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 creation process by having two different artists so that oh yeah they can you know so you can sort of have one robo hunter story running while casanovas does one and then a casanovas one doing when anthony williams does one and stuff like that you know they could be doing so many other better things like these robo hunter stories these are the stories of the 90s I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's hard, hard to, to tell, say. Yeah, because right? a lot of people dropped off before this, from what I can well, tell. Well, like, I mean, I would say that this era of Robo Hunter is not fondly remembered by fans that I talk to, certainly. Okay. Um, but I don't think we've got, I mean, I think we've gotten one or two letters that are sort of anti's, but it's hard to tell, like, what their eternal polling at the time is. Yeah, that's fair. It seems like it's popular because they keep doing it. But like you know, you could say a similar thing about uh, Harlem Heroes at one about the new Harlem oh, Heroes fuck. at one like that. I'm glad that stopped. Yeah, coming soon though. Anyway, oh, fuck. <laughs> I don't think till '94 actually. But um, 
I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com. On 2080 forums, our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at Space Spinner 2K. If you have everything else, Space Spinner 2000, we should be there. And hey, why not drop us a rating or review wherever you're listening? It helps us out quite a bit. And this show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, Zane Kip Miller, Nick Klein, Sorge, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. Ow! Then come back next time as we take a look at the final special editions of 1992, the 2080 Action and Winter Specials. They feature classic Brit comic characters and holiday adventures, respectively. I'm stoked to talk about them. And then the week after that, Fox, oh. it's time for our 1992 year in review show, The Spinnies. Mm, the Spinnies. We're going to talk about all the best stuff of the year that was in 2000 AD, and we want to know what you think as well. Send in your nominations for Best Art, Best Writing, Best Overall Thrill, Most Valuable Person of 1992, and your favorite year, 2008. Why not? Um, also, if you're feeling super opinionated, why not send similar nominations over to our sibling podcast, Big Big One? Hell yeah. Get your nominations in soon, and we'll read them on the episode, and it will be a lot of fun. Right? Okay. It better be fun. Okay, I fucking promise. So sorry. Until then, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spin 2000. Splendig Verthrig! <laughs>